Hello and welcome into Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. Uh, season two, episode two of the podcast here, and what an interesting one to come into. Last week, we talked about, you know, what appeared to be a dead team walking in Stillwater uh, for basketball. Uh, not the case anymore, coming off a just absolutely jaw-dropping, shocking, really any superlative you want to throw in there, win over the top-ranked Baylor Bears in um, in Waco. And I mean, Dustin, what a what a strange, unbelievably awesome win that was uh, on Saturday. Yeah, it, it really was incredible. I didn't get to watch it live, so I went back and watched it on Sunday, which was cool because then I was able to kind of slow down and I'll put some Twitter threads out there, which I don't know if those were cool. Uh, you'll have to ask the uh, Twitter followers. Oh, I thought they were fantastic. That. Super cool. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun for me, though. But, yes, just uh, just wild that they could go and beat a team like this. And I know – I know Baylor has ju- had just suffered a, one of the, a loss, but after the Texas Tech game, coming in and being able to beat Baylor in just an incredibly exciting game, so Oklahoma State was up 34-22 at half. Baylor came back, outscored them 32-27, got pretty close at the end. I bo- wasn't it was it 54-55? Yeah, it got it got cut down to one point. Yeah, and then Oklahoma State pulls away 61-54, and they were able to win it despite another poor three-point shooting performance, only 31% from three. They were able to shoot pretty good from the line, even though they didn't take very many, six for eight. But I don't know, Kate, what was your main takeaway? Like, what what did yeah. you think allowed Oklahoma State to win this game? Well, what I think allowed them to win this game is, is two things jump, jumped out at me. One, you get out to a huge lead on the road. I mean, up to as much as 17 points in the first half. And they were able to sustain that. We've talked about this before how on the road, when you have a lead like that, the first four minutes of the second half are absolutely crucial to how the rest of that game is going to go. Because if you're up 17 and, you know, Baylor goes on a 6-0 run to open up the half and it's, it's you know, a 10-9 point game with 15, 16 minutes left, that's a whole different type of game. But Oklahoma State was able to really hold that off until until really like about nine minutes left in the game. Baylor hit four threes in about a four-minute stretch that yeah. allowed and them to get back into two of them were ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Cryer well, hit two threes from deep. <laughs> well, they got, they went under screens, and, and Cryer was fantastic. I had seen him play all year and thought we might have trouble with him. He's a talented player. But I think one is building and sustaining a lead for just long enough. But the way they were able to build that lead is through defense. Defense leading to offense, and – Okay, so it's really it's really three things. They were able to hold up in the half court defensively, and then they were able to have success in the half court offensively for like the first time in four weeks. It feels like they were running the pick and roll with Cisse. Um, they really Avery kind of got the ball taken out of his hands for the most part, um, which is interesting considering what we talked about on the last show. But 
you kind of nailed it. Bryce Williams was was really kind of the feature guard alongside, obviously, Bryce Thompson. But Bryce Williams, um, you know, carried the load, bringing the ball up. And I, I just think those three things uh, factored into this. And, I mean, you can you can look at also Baylor's inability to hit shots up until, you know, about eight minutes left in the ballgame. They did not shoot well at all. Um, but there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. And we took – Kate, you, you hit it perfectly, and that was a great breakdown. You actually took away a lot of my points. So kind of <laughs> Sorry about that. that. But no, I'm just kidding. But great point, kind of referring back to what we talked about. A lot of the pick and roll situations in some of these previous games featured Ice and Cissé. And we talked about how there's some limitations when you use that pick and roll tandem. Well, what they did here, there still was some Ice and Cissé because Isaac likely needs to initiate the offense sometimes. He's a very smart experienced savvy player and even though he's not much of a shooter he can get inside and he he can get the offense going and settle the team down but what we saw in this game like you mentioned was a lot of Bryce Williams and a lot of Cissé in the pick and roll and what that's able to do because Bryce has the ability to shoot off the screen instead of just drive Cissé's rolling to the basket you have to bring another defender over and what are they able to do I put some Twitter videos of it they're able to get a guy open on the wing a Keelan Boone, a Bryce Thompson, kick it out for the open shot there. Or we saw Bryce pump fake to the late closeout, and he's able to get into the lane. So that made the half-court offense flow so much better. And when, they, when they're when they able to get out and run and they can limit the amount of half-court sets they have yes. to do and they don't have to use up all of their half-court sets, which we kind of saw in the second half, Baylor yes. catching on to them. But they do have some good ones. It's just when you run them over and over and over again, their offense has to work with motion, off-ball screens, swinging the ball around. They don't have a lot of just ISO-heavy, can get you a bucket from anywhere besides really Bryce Williams. And he's not a Cade Cunningham level. So it was awesome to see them using that. But Cade, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is probably a dumb thing to say, but this this team's offensive identity is getting out and running. It. Well, it, it has been for two years at this point, even even back to Cade Cunningham, it, it was get out and run because they would even slog down in the half court. Really, that was that was the case in the first half of that season. Cade just went full supernova in the second half of the season. But if you remember, I mean, it was get out and run that game against Arkansas last year was an absolute track meet and it had to be or else Oklahoma State loses that game. So I think it has been their identity for a long time. They just now have the horses to do it. But when they when they are forced to get into their half court, and I think we've even talked about this on the podcast, maybe not, but that's when things can go south. That's why they went south in Lubbock. They were not able to hit shots. They were not able to get as much spacing in the pick and roll as they were in Waco. And then they finally hit open shots against Baylor. And it comes at a really great time um, because that they needed every single one of them. Yeah, and I think, Cade, I think with – what we were talking about on the last podcast, again, kind of going back to it, it rang true. So Bryce Williams has his highest usage percentage in big 12 play. And wow. so does Bryce Thompson. I think those are your one and two. I think you need ice likely to have the ball in his hands. Sometimes, like I said, to initiate the offense because they do score when he initiates the offense. Sometimes it's oh, yeah. not always yeah. him, but he's able to get assists. I think he had what he had two, two in this game, but we've seen him with four five, six. And he also had five rebounds played good defense. But you mentioned it earlier, they took the ball out of Avery Anderson's hands. I think he needs to be your third scoring option. And I know that may sound crazy, a guy who had some absolute 
offensive explosions last season. But do you agree with that? I think he's the third guy. It's what it's what we talked about last week, and I think it sets this team up for success. He may be the third guy, but he like I, I think he's not Brian, a third guy, right? He's he, the third guy on this team, but he's good enough to be a one guy. I just think Bryce, Bryce, and Bryce need yeah. to be the main usage percentage. <laughs> oh, I I smell t-shirts. Um, and it, but like I I agree completely with what you're saying. Avery is too talented to you know stick in the corner i think he's got to be the guy coming up with bryce williams as the two guard and put bryce thompson at the three um and make a slower defender try to guard bryce thompson especially on that little pull-up jumper he's got he takes two dribbles stops on a diamond pulls up he's been money with that all year um which is which is kind of a bad shot in in this day and age (laughs) it's not the best shot but he's really good with it and has been all year yeah, it's like it's like vintage Russell Westbrook is what I think yeah. of because that's that used to be Russell Westbrook's bread and butter was was that mid range shot, and in today's day and age in college and the NBA, it just the mid range jumper is just gone and and maybe for a little bit of good reason, but we don't have to get into all that. But I do agree with exactly what you're saying. Avery's best games last year, if you throw out what appears to be an anomaly in West Virginia last year, Avery's best games came when he played off the ball as Cade Cunningham's, you know, right hand. And he was able to uh, slash on the defense as they were getting out of line, out of, you know, rhythm or uh, out of position is the right word I was looking for there um, with Cade running the show. So you have a dynamic point guard who the defense has to now respect his shooting ability and his driving capability. And then you've got one of the most explosive guards in the conference in Avery Anderson at the two. Um, I think that's a really good recipe. And then if Bryce Thompson plays like that or really anything close to that, I think you've got a pretty decent team. We talked about it and I'll wrap up with this because I've been going on and on, but we talked about (laughs) it uh, the last several weeks, how the ball just wasn't going in the hoop. And that was crucial for Oklahoma state. On Saturday, they made shots. They made shots, and and it looks a whole lot different when they do. And, and the thing is, I think Bryce Thompson, and you're right on everything you said, I think Bryce Thompson needs volume shots. He, he needs to take shots to get going, which is going to make Avery Anderson's and Bryce, and Bryce Williams' shots come down a little bit, and we saw that against Baylor. But I do think – like you said, Avery is better than only three field goal attempts. Right. He needs to shoot more than that. I think it's going to be a little bit, and I know it's multiple games into the season now, but I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning experience for him now that we've seen Bryce Thompson kind of get comfortable. He's going to have to figure out a way to get his shots because he's such a dynamic scorer, but allow Thompson and Williams to also get theirs. But I think Boynton's found his starting lineup. Well, This I is just, the fourth straight game, say. Avery, Bryce Thompson, Ice, and Bryce Williams. Well, and I just want to be clear. Avery bringing the ball up in the fast break is one of the best point guards in all of America. But when it gets into the half court, things slog down a little bit, and they didn't with Bryce Williams. So I think just just to kind of clarify that, like Avery Anderson fits the mold because the identity is to get out and run. But when they cannot, he's just probably not your best option as the initiator of this offense. Yeah, as the pick and roll, even yeah, and as the pick and roll guys, well, I'd like to see more of Bryce Thompson in the pick and roll. His was more of like kind of a dribble handoff thing, and I'd like to see him actually more in the pick and roll. But 
Cisse has improved there, by the way. Oh, Cisse yeah. has done yeah. a much better job recently. He, he really is. And defenses have to pay attention to him. And just kind of going back to the transition, which we've mentioned so many times, I've been wanting to hit this point. 21 fast break points in this game compared to two mm. against Texas Tech. And then 16 assists in this game. Their, their Big 12 average has been around, I think, 11.4, 16 assists. So just the ball movement in general, whether it be on the break, in the half court, it just it, – it was something – it was something phenomenal to watch. And they're – on the defensive end, they played – Boynton talked about it after the game. The bigs were super aggressive on the screens in Baylor's pick and roll. And you could tell Baylor had below their season average in assists with 10 – and Akinjo, I know he only played 23 minutes. I know he'd been banged up. That guy averages six assists a game. He had zero. Well, and because he, of the way Oklahoma State was able to play the pick and roll. Well, in his last four games before Oklahoma State, he had 16 points, 27 points, 20 points, and 17 points. So I know he's banged up. We had heard that, but Oklahoma State, like, Akinjo not being out there, Baylor's already so, so balanced. And they even are without Akinjo out there. But, I mean, that's that's a huge storyline. And they were able to limit him again. 23 minutes they played is not his the average. They, he to where he couldn't game. play. To where he couldn't yeah. play. Exactly right. And so you have to tip your cap at some point to Oklahoma State's ability to just be like, okay, they're too physical for him at whatever health level he's at. So he can't play. And and Baylor is not short on guards. I mean, Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer, Matthew Mayer are fantastic, as good as it gets in the Big 12. So uh, Baylor's not short on guards. I don't feel bad for him not having a Ken Joe. Um, but I, just, just a fun game overall. I thought um, Keelan Boone played well. The one thing I wanted to ask you, I don't even know how much we talked about this last week. Where is Caleb Boone? Have you seen him on the back of your milk carton? What? <laughs> We saw the quote from Boynton. Actually, I think saw him say it because I think it was in the press or one of the ones that was on video on YouTube on Oklahoma State Athletics. Talk about Tariq Smith practicing better, but now I'm a little confused well, so we, because we, he's just nothing at all. Well, we talked about this last week after the West Virginia right. game and before the Tech and Baylor games. And we, we talked about that specifically, how Tyreek Smith was apparently practicing well and was stealing some minutes. Caleb is not playing at all. He didn't play you're, in this game. And you're talking about a guy that has been successful on both ends of the floor. Like, he can block shots, he can guard bigs, and he's the only big on Oklahoma State's team that can consistently hit a shot well, away from the basket. He solves a lot in the half court, and frankly – uh, and, and I don't know the specifics. I, I trust screener too. I trust Mike Boynton's judgment as to why a Caleb Boone can't find the floor. But I, I said this to you during the game, Caleb solves some issues for you offensively. He at least is a presence that the defense and the help side defense has to honor. And that opens up uh, sh shots. It opens up open looks for your team. And if he's not out there, I, I think Tyreek Smith has played great. I think Keelan Boone has played great. And Cisse's played great, but you just don't have to respect the outside game as much as you do when Caleb's there. Um, and frankly, he would have posed some significant matchup issues for Baylor in my mind. So it's just, it's interesting as to why he's not playing. I don't know why. I don't want to speculate as to why, but it's just weird. 
it was weird too. He came in in the tech game. I believe that was the tech game and had the double technical. Yes, correct. And then he came out and then we didn't see him at all against Baylor. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but that, that was odd as well. It's, but it's all weird. I did want to bring up first time Oklahoma state has beaten a number one overall team on the road. Yeah. That's pretty nasty. Pretty nasty win. And the they la- just got the last time they beat a number one team was actually when I was in school, 2010 against KU, James Anderson, 27, my guy, Matt Pilgrim with 18. Yeah. Kentucky my- transfer yet. Obi was 17. Keaton page with 15. I, the, I think they were like, I went and looked it up, but oh yeah, ten of nineteen from three—that'd be great. <laughs> well, could you? Uh, you think this? And team shout out could... to my guy Nick Sudorkis as well. He played <laughs> you, some minutes in that game. That's my. You guy. think this team could use a Keaton Page right now, or oh, or a James sure. Anderson, or an Obi Manello? Just one guy to stand out there and knock down shots. I mean that that think, team did that very very well. Because I think Page, I I went and looked it up. I think Page shot thirty nine percent from three. And I want to say it was somebody else. Maybe it was Anderson. Somebody, maybe it was Obi, shot like 40%. Two guys close to 40. And then James Anderson shot like 35. So just, just wild stuff. But that game was awesome. Ton of fun to watch. I, I, Kate, I think I hit all my points. I don't, I don't know if I had any more. Baylor's two of 13 early on from three. A lot of those were open. (laughs) I know. I know. That's, that's right. what I was saying. They just, they obliged. Like as Oklahoma state stretched that lead out, I don't know if I said this to you. I think I said it to my dad. Baylor cooperated uh, significantly in that first early going to allow Oklahoma state to build that lead. One Oklahoma state absolutely took advantage of every opportunity they had. They were scoring in transition, but Baylor did not shoot the ball well. And they really didn't shoot the ball well the entire first half. And so you knew that run was coming. And I, I thought it was going to come a little bit too late, and it did. But I mean, God, I didn't think Baylor was going to get that close to, to completing the comeback. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Also, I did have one question written down. I forgot to ask you. I know it's sometimes hard to tell in basketball, but in this game, and it's easy to say when they beat the number one team overall, but was this – was this a coaching X's and O's display from Boynton here? The way he switched between man and zone, especially when Baylor was missing shots to go to that zone so they couldn't get anything inside and try to get their rhythm going. Switching to man, the way they played the screens, obviously that was a conscious coaching decision because he yeah. talked about it after the game. And then using Bryce Williams more as the pick and roll and ball handler. Without a doubt. I think it's very clear. I think – I think the pregame adjustments they made from, I mean, I don't even know when they would have been able to do this because they had like 48 hours, if that, before, after the tech game and before this. I think it was less than 48 They just hours. practiced for Baylor. They didn't practice for Tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly what happened. That makes a lot more sense now. Um, <laughs> but no, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, people have, I mean, on, on Twitter, wherever you look, that people talk about Mike Boynton's in-game coaching. I loved that. The switching back and forth on the defenses keeps Baylor off their toe on their toes. And then I just, I point back to that stretch of like nine minutes to six minutes in the second half where Baylor goes nuclear from three. If that doesn't happen, this is a, this is a 12 to 15 point win. And it really wasn't all that close. Baylor went nuclear and it wasn't because of anything Oklahoma state did. So to your question, 
I absolutely agree with you. It was a great coaching game from Mike Boynton. Um, for whatever reason, I think Oklahoma State just really matches up well with Baylor. They have for the last couple of years. They beat him in the Big 12 title game, nearly beat him in Stillwater without Cade Cunningham and Rondell Walker last year. Um, I think for whatever reason, they play a similar style of basketball. Neither team has a huge presence inside, so it really kind of always boils down to who gets hot from three. And it, it was Baylor, but they just couldn't complete the comeback they were already down too much no i agree it's a great game well it was a lot of fun let's keep it going tomorrow in in Stillwater. that'll be a fun one oklahoma state already opened up as, as five point favorites against tcu who's having a sneaky good year mike miles our old friend uh you may recognize that name as a, a, a kid that oklahoma state recruited pretty heavily uh when cade cunningham committed to Oklahoma state. Mike miles was his AAU teammate. Um, and he's having so a good year, huh? he's averaging 17 points a game. He's, he's lights out right now. I was looking Kate at Kim Palm while we were talking TCU's advanced analytics are very similar to Oklahoma state's. They're a little bit better and then a little bit worse in some areas. Their offensive efficiencies a little bit better, but they're still in the hundreds. Their defensive efficiency is still a little bit worse, but they're in, 31 I think Oklahoma State's like seven they're not a great three-point shooting team 278 they're not a great free throw shooting team 285th but they they excel in a lot of the defensive categories so that's going to be interesting to watch yeah this could be a slog a real slog <laughs> you're you're probably glad oh boy I mean could, would it surprise you low no. 50s I, I'm a, I think I do think Oklahoma State wins this game though I think so too. I think as five point favorites at home, you got to come out hot because I think it rejuvenates the fan base a little bit. I think you'll probably see a little bit better crowd there tomorrow night in Stillwater. Um, these are the games, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: these are the games Oklahoma State historically loses. The game coming off the big win that's like okay. Now the season is a little bit different. I mean, did you think Oklahoma State going into that four game stretch was gonna get two out of the, out of that four game stretch? I, I said just get, get one. I thought they were going to get none. I, You would have thought they get zero. My hope was they get one and they got two. So now it's okay. like it's the whole season's changed. Let me let me run you through this next stretch of games and tell me how many wins. So it's, it's TCU at home, Texas away, Iowa State at home, Florida away in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, Kansas State away, OU at home, TCU away, West Virginia at home. Every, I, I don't know if they beat Texas be, because I think tech, that's a little bit of a revenge game for them. It's at Texas, but every single one of those games I just mentioned is winnable. You, do you disagree? You, I do not disagree, but this, this is the Big 12 and the unexpected always happens. I counted five. On, on my yeah. hands, as you said that. But I think that's even conservative. Oklahoma State, the hardest part of their schedule is behind them. That is a gauntlet that they just went through. I mean, you could you could argue TCU is a win, Texas is a loss. I think Iowa State's a win. F actually, ESPN FPI actually gives Oklahoma State a 63% chance to win that game. So Ken Palm has it as a win as well for Oklahoma State. So there's two. So they'll probably I, lose then. They, they're totally going to lose that game. It's the first game I'm going to get to go to all year. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be screaming my head off, and we're going to probably lose. 
I, I like that Florida game. It just feels like a little bit of a sleeper. So right now I've got two on my hands. I like Oklahoma State at K-State. I like Bedlam. I like at TCU. And West Virginia at Oklahoma State's a toss-up. I think you could go one and one in that TCU game and the West Virginia game, and there's five out of eight. That would be a salty positivity. <laughs> it's just We're different. Back. Uh, we are back. Well, it's good to have this. It's really good to have this about Oklahoma State basketball because it has not been this way, has it? No, it has not. And I, I personally feel like I've been pretty negative. So I'm trying to juice up the positivity here. Well, I want to throw something else out at you. After that game, it's at KU. And then you get Kansas State at home, Baylor at home. I mean, you want to go make a run. Let's let's go on a little run here. Let's have some fun. I mean, there's no postseason to worry about. Let's cut it loose and let's go have fun in Stillwater. That's what I'm going to do at least. I, I would encourage everybody else to do the same. I love it. Yeah, so TCU – so we'll have TCU and Texas, and th- those will probably be the next two because we'll probably record before that Iowa State game. So we'll have those two to talk correct. Yeah, exactly, because that Wednesday game is Iowa State. That's at 7 o'clock, and I will be there. So we'll, we'll def- that game we'll record before that. So absolutely. Yeah, so we'll have two to talk about next time. So we're normally grabbing two per episode, which I think is yeah, good for us. I like it. It's, it's especially easy when one of them is an absolute snoozer, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Dustin, that was fun. I'm excited to see what comes of that. I mean, it's just like – at some point, you got to think Oklahoma State breaks through that wall, but is it right now? I'm excited to see, um, you know, again, big time game coming up tomorrow night in Stillwater against TCU. Um, our, my old nemesis, RJ Nemhard, is no longer there. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that because <laughs> for whatever reason, that dude just used to go nuclear on us. And I'm, I'm glad he's not there anymore. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. And we'll come back and talk a little offseason football. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel, is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, with over 100 schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. This is the perfect gift. Uh, Homefield Apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out. And use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And, of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping, as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Okay, welcome back. Uh, as much fun as it is talking about basketball, we're going to move right on into another thing that everybody loves talking about. Uh, it's our sponsorless transfer portal segment, right? Again, you can sponsor this. I said last week, if you're a manufacturer of tubes or products like that are portal adjacent, like get in touch with us because you can absolutely sponsor this. We are the Super going- Mario, maybe. <laughs> exactly. The going rate is, uh, is not much. I mean, bouncy houses, would would be great so i i don't know i mean throw it out there we'll probably let you sponsor it but anyway dustin i mean what what's the latest on the transfer portal we've seen a lot of activity recently um maybe not so much this last week though so every time we record a player 
player announcements happen literally either right after the podcast or the next morning. So are that you saying again. that's our fault? Are you- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I good. am because I'm that conceited. I think we have something to do with it, okay. but Tyrese Williams played some center and guard for Oklahoma state last year. He'd step in when Josh Sills was out. He stepped in whenever Danny was out and Joe M went down for a little bit in the bowl game. So kind of versatile interior lineman. He announced he's going to transfer from, from what he said in the articles I've read, it sounds like he just didn't think he was going to be able to start with guys like Woodard and Birmingham, probably Birmingham, probably moving back into the inside at guard. And then, Preston Wilson, probably uh, Maholski as well at center. It just seemed like he was going to be a rotation piece again. I think he just wanted to go somewhere and play. So I don't blame him, him at all there. And K, just kind of on the overall offensive line. So what it sounds like right now. So they've had they've had Sills leave, Godlevsky, Monroe Mills, Cade Bennett, Tyrese, and Hunter Anthony. Apparently, there's a couple guys that are having postseason surgeries and are going to miss the spring. So you're going into spring football with nine offensive linemen, and one of those is junior college transfer Tyrone Weber. A little concerning with all these people leaving, but I think we, we got a question on Twitter, but it was during the week, so it didn't really count for our – I answered it on Twitter, but – I want to I want to get your thoughts as well, but I'm not super concerned overall about the offensive line right now. And my reasoning is I think Tyrone Weber can play tackle. I think he could come in and start. I think Caleb Etienne has the skills to come in and play. I think they're going to get a tackle on the transfer portal, even if it's later in the year and that he has to come in in the fall. If it's an experienced guy with the zone scheme, he should be able to come in and be able to block right away. And then Hunter Woodard and Cole Birmingham at guard are really good. Those yeah. are two really good players. And then you've got Preston Wilson or Joe Mahalski. And I think they're, from what it sounds like, they're trying to get a center as well. So it's really just the depth. Do you agree? It's not, I've seen a lot of doom and gloom about the Oklahoma State offensive line going into next season. But if you sure up the tackle spots, I was talking to Lon about this. If you show up the tackle spots, I think everything else kind of falls into place. And, you know, that's an optimistic ask. But if, if Weber and Etienne are good enough to start at tackle, then you've got Woodard and Birmingham, and then whoever you play at center is decent at least. That's pretty good to me. I, I agree with you completely. I, I think the conversation about the offensive line is, is depth. They need an anchor on the, in the center position on the offensive line. We have talked about that. They need to go get somebody – to handle that. But like, I mean, there's, there's ways you can get yourself around that. So do you have to go get that person in the portal or is that person already on campus? Like, that's the big question. So do you have to even go get that person uh, elsewhere? I'm not so sure that's the case, but you're going to have to identify that person somehow. So as you were saying, it's exactly that. I think the conversation at this point is about second and third string depth to get through camp it's really not even about the starting offensive yeah, line, which yeah, exactly. which we have gone come a long way from two to three years ago. I mean, talking about the offensive line. I mean, they're not going to be able to have a spring game, a real spring game with nine guys. Right, right. You can't, that, that's that, not two offensive lines. I mean, you think you think uh, Dickie can suit up and get out there or what? Possibly. I mean, throw some walk-ons out there, but do you want to do that? I, so I would expect maybe I do. I do want to do that, but, but Mike Gundy probably does not. 
pick people from the crowd, but I would expect, <laughs> I would expect some kind of a Our boy kind of practice thing that we've seen in the past. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't get uh I wouldn't get your hopes up for a full out spring game there. I know we were talking about with some of our GPS buddies there, but so this kind of a perfect segue into our transfer portal. So we talked about three offensive linemen last week, Mason Brooks, left tackle from Western Kentucky, Michael Shanahan, right tackle from UT Martin, and Mac Hollensteiner, right tackle from Georgetown. Brooks just recently committed to Ole Miss. Michael Shanahan committed to Tech. He just went on a visit. Brooks went on a visit well to Oklahoma State. Shanahan was just there. It sounds like, and not to get into too many details because I don't, I don't know them all and I don't want to speak incorrectly, but it sounds like it was kind of a mutual uh, agreement that Shanahan wouldn't be playing at Oklahoma State. I don't know if it had anything to do with classes transferring over, some kind of eligibility issues, him leaning towards tech, and it maybe just not being a fit here based on what the coaches told him. But it sounds like they were kind of Oklahoma State's coaching staff and Shanahan were both okay with him not playing here. So he decided on tech. So the last guy there is Matt Collinsteiner from Georgetown. Since we talked, he's gotten a Virginia offer, a Michigan State offer and a Vanderbilt offer. And what he said is he's planning on taking a few more visits. I don't think this is a guy you can get in in the spring. I think he would be a summer fall guy, which is fine because he's very experienced. He played 707 snaps last year at Georgetown. That's the most on their team out of any player on offense. So I think he'll be fine. Cade, what do you think overall about the portal and those and kind of those guys we talked about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing to see the other guys go elsewhere just because you know they could fill a need. But, you know, if if what we've kind of heard is is the case on on I mean, you trust the coaching staff, right, to to find the right fit, however that needs to happen. Um, and to me, I think again, they've got one need to fill on the offensive line and they can be creative with how they fill that. So they're not their hands are not tied. Um, I don't think I, I like the kid from Georgetown. I think he would come in and potentially be a, a, a good fit. It's a definite step up in terms of competition. I would be a little bit concerned about that, but you know, I mean, there are plenty of FCS guys running around in the NFL right now. So it's, it's not necessarily like a, a huge concern I have, but um, it is, it is a, a thought, a topic of conversation with him. Yeah, I completely agree. So just to kind of wrap up offensive line, Cade and I would love them to get a center, an experienced guy. You'd love a tackle, but I don't think it has to be a guy that comes in and starts right away. Maybe kind of a swing piece. I agree. Is able to kind of play both sides, maybe a depth guy. But if he's able to come in and start right away, that's great. We're banking on Etienne and Weber being able to play, and then you've always got Cole Birmingham to fall back on, which hurts your depth at guard if that happens. But And then – I would like a just kind of depth piece at guard. Maybe a guy that, again, can play both sides. This guy definitely doesn't need to come in and start because he's not – I don't know if you could go get a guy that could come in and start over Woodard or Birmingham at guard. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't think. That's in the portal right now. That's not, you know, possibly going to a big-time blue blood or something like that. So those are the three that I would like to see. Kate, any, anything different from you? Or No, I agree with you. You kind of hit on the point that I, that I was trying to make. You said it better than I did, that they can be a little bit, you know, you can go get a depth piece and a swing piece. Like you can, you don't have to go get somebody on that interior side. That's an immediate contributor on tackle and guard. They don't, they don't have to be somebody who comes in and takes a spot because you're probably pretty good in that area. So again, there, there's some flexibility here that, 
um, allows for Oklahoma State to probably take a kid like uh, the kid from Georgetown or or whoever else they they end up landing. Their hands are not tied. Um, I'm excited to see where they go with it. Yeah, I am too. I think Kidna's disclaimer is don't get too worried about the offensive line yet. Yeah, right. On January 18th. Yeah. I think we're (laughs) – and you – you know, school started already, so they may not get a guy who can come in and play in the spring. Right. But they are going to get some guys in the portal because you can tell a tackle that he can come in and fight for a starting spot. You can tell a center he could come in and fight for a starting spot. And you can tell the guard that he's probably going to play because offensive linemen get banged up all the time, as we've seen. So, I mean, not a thing to wish for, obviously, but it's just something that happens. So they're definitely going to get guys in the portal. Don't worry yet. And, Kate, I think the last person we want to hit on that we talked about last week, Nathaniel Pete, running back from Stanford, solid player. You and I both, I think we're yeah. pretty excited about him. He committed Bumped. to Mizzou. So yeah. he's from Missouri, not a huge surprise, but that's tough there. Um, okay. Did you want me just to real quick run through some of the guys we talked about? Yeah, last I think that time, would be good. I, I think that would be good. So these are the guys we talked about last time who still haven't committed. And I didn't see a top four, top five or something like that. They may be visiting other places and not all of them are connected to OSU, but the way the transfer portal guys work, there's not always, it's not always public information if they've gotten an offer or taken a visit, obviously with Mason Brooks, I didn't see anything on him until about a week and a half after he went on the visit. So uh, on the defensive line, the guy you liked, his name anyway, sincere David from Ole Miss. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron I liked everything about him. <laughs> yes. uh, Aaron, Aaron, I think it's foul Moy from Virginia defensive lineman. The guy I liked Nesta Silvera from Miami. I think he would be a huge get um, all ACC honorable mention guy, Dre Butler from Auburn. And then another all name guy. We like Joseph Darqua from Penn mm. state. At running back, Joe Davis is still in there from Colorado. The guy I really liked, Dylan McDuffie from Buffalo, 1,000-yard rusher. And then Nathaniel Peets, the second string behind him, who actually I think was the first string at the beginning of the season, Austin Jones. He was an all-pack 12 guy in 2020. On the offensive line, we talked about Kanan Ray, Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt, who would be a huge get at left tackle. But he apparently might go back to Vanderbilt, and he's getting – ton of offers he's a future nfl guy from everything i've seen so i don't know if they'll be able to land him but he'd be awesome and then brian green at center from washington state um and then out of the new guys in the portal since we last talked travis die from oregon you and i both really like him running yes. back uh thousand think yards everybody likes touchdowns. him i think everybody likes him I agree. Uh, and then some O-linemen that stuck out to me, Princeton Pines. He's a former Baylor guy that went to Sam Houston. Uh, he's a tackle 6'5", 320. Actually, from Baton Rouge, went to the high school my mom went to, Terra High School. So shout oh, out, that's, Terra. That's cool. Yeah. So um, other than that, I saw a center from Lo- – uh, from uh, his name's Logan, sorry, a center from Oregon pop in the portal, but he didn't play due, due to injuries in his time in Oregon. It's the only – center i've really seen pop in a couple of other dean linemen lee hunter from auburn's the only one that really stuck out former four star but again no snaps at auburn so no one really knew coming out nobody oklahoma state's been connected to but i think that changes and again kate we talked about it we counted through the scholarships we believe oklahoma state is at the 85 limit right, right now right so they still need to lose more guys right and so that more, more people will go in 
that has to happen, I think, before you see much movement in, in the portal in terms of acquisitions. I think Oklahoma State, just like every other school in the country right now, has to be creative in how they use scholarships. So if you have to have a difficult conversation with the kid and say, hey, look, the transfer portal is a resource to you. Like that is a different conversation than it used to be. And that conversation used to happen and it used to suck for a lot of kids. And frankly, it still does because you're not guaranteed a new home just because you entered the transfer portal, which unfortunately is the case for a lot of these kids. So there's there's a double-edged sword there that again, I'm not going to stand on my soapbox here, but you're going to see a lot of activity, I think, in the late spring, early summer in the transfer portal um, as kids get out of the spring semester and try to get in before summer and fall camp. Um, I would think, you know, that March to May is where you'll see some activity. It's always a big, you know, timeline for the basketball transfer portal as well. So um, I, I would think that that if, if everything holds chalk for a little while, which it just seems like it could again, who knows really We're it's anybody's guess is as good as mine. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see late movement, um, especially as you already mentioned, the semester just started. So, yeah, I think if they don't, if they don't get somebody in this week, maybe early next week, I think it's going to, you're going to need it. It'll probably be announced before then, but they won't get there till summer or fall. So. Right. Right. I with, I'm with you. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Kate, that was all I really had on the transfer portal. Well, your rundown is is great as always, and I appreciate it. It gets me excited for all these guys that, you know, probably will never step foot in Oklahoma State gear and I'll never Stillwater, say but again. Yeah, Joseph Darkwa. I mean, I would love I would love that. <laughs> Travis Dye. I mean, what what's your gut feeling on him? Just as, you know, he's a big name, probably the biggest name in the portal right now, um, on that running back side. Um I see him at, at landing at some blue blood that that can make room for him. Yeah, he's going to probably have the most offers out of anybody besides like Caleb Williams in there. Right you now. think I, USC? Yeah, obviously outside of uh, outside of those names, I'm talking like more. You know, because he was Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Like, I, I mean, he, I, to me, he's USC kind of a small guy too. He right? is, like, he is. I don't know yeah. his exact height, but I mean, I want to say it's like five eight, five nine. Yeah, that's what I was going to guess around five nine, five ten ish that area. But yeah, he's probably going to get. I don't know if Oklahoma State would have a shot just because I don't think they could promise him. If he did come in, he'd obviously be the lead guy, but. You're just not going to give the ball to Dom or Jaden Nixon. You're not going to give Ollie Gordon a chance. I, there's a lot of guys in Oklahoma State's running back room. I think they're looking for another Jalen Warren type. You hit on this last week, an experienced guy who maybe was splitting carries somewhere else who can come in and just kind of give some experience and, and talent to this running back room. But I don't know if a guy like Die is a guy Oklahoma state could land in, in this cycle. You know, the, the last thing I'll say about him and what I like the most about him, he doesn't wear gloves. Oh yes. What? Or like, how, it's on no, no wristbands, uh, no accessories, no, no visor. It's, and no gloves. The gloves is the most interesting thing to me. Everybody's wearing gloves now. He probably wouldn't wear a helmet. If he didn't make it. <laughs> True football Maybe guy like a leather is, one. is the vibe I'm getting Uh true football guy there. So yeah, I would yeah. expect him to end up elsewhere, but uh, Showing it's, a lot of skin. It is. 
it is going to be interesting to see how uh, all of this shakes out over the next couple of weeks for sure. So Dustin, thank you for your breakdown. We'll have this every week um, because again, this, this is a thing now. So we, we got to talk about it, but um, talking transfer portal. Yeah. Move, I mean, moving on a, another huge topic until this is settled. There's a defensive coordinator position opening uh, in, in Oklahoma state. I, it's, it's, anybody's best guess at this point it sounds like they're going to go external is that what you're which is what which is what we thought yes so mike gundy came on robert allen's radio show and said he's hiring external well i have the direct quote up if you want to read through it he said i was considering up to a few days ago hiring from within i've decided to hire outside now for a variety of reasons we've had a couple of guys inside that are deserving the way it all panned out this year with what, what is going on that I needed to bring in an experienced play caller. I had to clear all that up and have the discussions with my defensive staff. People know the direction we are going now. So that it's going to be an outside guy. Seems pretty cut and dry to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that and now we have an interesting question. It's not Joe Bob Clements. It's not Dan Hammerschmidt. It's not Tim Duffy. Who Who is it? And who could it be? I think that's where we start. Yeah, so what what Gundy said is he wants to wait, I think he said another six to eight days and possibly even after the NFL season concludes because he wants to let all the NFL hirings take their course, not so much head coaches, but he said he's had some issues in the past with hiring a guy and then them leaving for a position coach job in the NFL or coordinator job, something like that. So it sounds like it's going to be within the next week or two if if Gundy had his way, but it could be a little bit longer, which is kind of what we thought. I think last week we said – next 10 days ish. So maybe a little bit longer than that. But what I did is I went and looked back at our list. And if you want to go back and listen to that episode, we kind of covered all these guys, uh, two, four sevens list. And then pokes report, Robert Allen's website. I went through their list as well and tried to grab some guys who either stood out to me or were on every list. So one of the main guys who was on every list was Minnesota's defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi. If you want to hear us break him down, you can go back and listen to the old podcast on that. He just re-upped with Minnesota for 800000 which I believe is what Knowles was making with us, and it's a 150 k raise annually. So you'd have to pay him good money to come over, but Minnesota's defense has been great with him there. I think he'd be a huge get. I'm not sure he would leave Minnesota for Oklahoma State unless we were able to give him quite a – substantial pay raise because it seems like he likes it there it, it does what... seem like it and their defenses are successful they're yeah. very good so he's one he's kind of like the 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 pie in the sky to me i would love that i think he's probably one of the guys that mike gundy is referring to when he says let's let the nfl coaching cycle work itself out because he would be one that you would think would be getting looks from the nfl right yeah no i completely agree the next one this was off pokes report Charlie Strong, how would that make you feel? He's currently outside oh. linebackers coach with Jacksonville, but obviously Charlie Strong, Florida, Texas, uh, did some time with Alabama, I believe, as an analyst there. What are your thoughts well, on that? Well, the cool guy take is, oh, Charlie Strong never. I mean, he could probably do a pretty darn good job coaching a defense. Charlie Strong. I would take Charlie Strong. Um, which, by the way, as we've been sitting here talking, Gary Patterson was spotted in Austin wearing – Texas Longhorns gear at their basketball game tonight. So Take him off the list. Yeah. Scratch, scratch him off a late scratch. Um, but you know, Charlie strong is a guy that um, I think probably was not a, 
was not cut out to be the head coach at Texas at that time. Texas wasn't ready for him. He wasn't ready for Texas. Bad fit. That doesn't make him a bad football coach. Um, it, it would be interesting to see how he would recruit and what system he'd bring to Stillwater. And he's got my favorite quality in a defensive coordinator. When he makes his mad face, he looks like a psychopath. <laughs> right. And that's what I need. And c- clearly lifts, right? Clearly lifts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jacked, crazy dudes are awesome defensive coordinators. Yeah, so right. I don't know if Charlie Strong's crazy, but he's definitely jacked. It definitely jacked. No doubt about that. So, and, and what Pokes Report did is they had quite a few NFL guys, which we didn't have any. I think it's going to be a guy that's already in college moving over. But, yes, they had, they had Jeremy Pruitt on there. If you remember him from Tennessee, Alabama. He's currently a defensive analyst with the Giants. Chris Rumpf, defensive line coach with the Chicago Bears. They had Lovey Smith on there, who's been all over the place. <laughs> I think he's currently with the Texans. Any of those names do anything for you, Cade? Is Charlie Strong the one there that kind of gets you going a little bit? Yeah, Chris Rumpf doesn't do a whole lot for me. Jerry, Jeremy Pruitt was an objectively bad head coach, which, again, I can't give Charlie Strong credit on that end and not give it to Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I just I think Charlie Strong, having been in the Big 12 before, makes a lot more sense to me. Just my, my brain that it just makes more sense in my brain. Um, Lovey Smith, I could see, but also that would be very, very weird to me. I don't know. I it <laughs> he's got a cool beard. What's interesting about that is I have the same internal feeling about him as I had Rob Ryan, except I didn't know that Rob Ryan was Oklahoma State's defensive <laughs> coordinator when I was two. That's the only difference. Yeah, you're an idiot for that. Yeah, moron and a poser Oklahoma State fan. Um, yeah, that I, I'm I'm the same way with you. Charlie Strong would be cool, but we'll see. So another so a couple other names that stood out to me from the, the those two lists. Tony Gibson, he's currently yeah. defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, which was is what Knowles coached at North Carolina State. He ran that three three front at West Virginia. Yep. That would be that. That would get uh, ties to Oklahoma State, just coaching with Joe DeForest, who, you know, coached at Oklahoma State there. And he's been, I think, coaching college football for like 25 years. Tony Gibson would get two thumbs up from me. Uh, I I loved what he did. I don't know if I want to to run the 3-3 stack uh, every down, but it worked. West Virginia had some good defenses when they did that and some really difficult defenses to run against. Um, I would want somebody who could blend the best elements of that with, with Oklahoma state's current scheme, but Tony Gibson, uh, is a good coach objectively. And I would, I would, again, two thumbs up. You get the cage stamp of approval on that hire for sure. Yeah, I completely agree there. Some other names that were on both the list, Doug Belk, we talked about him from Houston. Yeah. He just re-upped with them for a million. So you got to pay him a little bit. That's some deep money for Houston right there. It is that he's awesome. So that would be great. Uh, saw Mike Tressel on several lists and then a name who I really like. And I thought I was being like super cool hipster, smart guy mentioning him, but now I've seen him on some lists. Kurt Maddox at San Diego state, super aggressive defense. I think he could fit right in with the way he runs his schemes. San Diego state's had a good defense. I, I believe he's been the defensive coordinator there for two, two years. They've had good defenses both years. That would be fun. Not really a big household name, but that would be interesting. And then we've got, you know, the ones we talked about, Shane Eaches, who was here with Knowles. He was a grad assistant, I believe, with Knowles at Duke as well. He's at Houston Baptist right now. 
you mentioned Gary Patterson, uh, Vince Kiries, that Toledo was another name you and I liked. So I think out of all those guys, I really like Maddox. I don't know what it is about him. I think it's his look and, and obviously his style. Of play. It, it is a, it is a unique look. I will say I, their defensive, uh, you know, statistics are impressive in 2020. They were third in total defense, seventh in rushing defense, and 11th in passing efficiency. That's pretty solid. Yeah, they've been great. I think he's been up for the Broyles Award both years. He's been the defensive coordinator there as well. So Interesting. Solid coaching. And, Cade, I, I don't really have anything else on the future defensive coordinator, but what about current Oklahoma State defensive staff? What would you make of this Joe Bob Clements news? Yeah, well, the, and you're referring to the kind of rumblings that he was headed to Ohio State for a little bit there. It sounded like a sure thing. It, it did. That would have been surprising to me. Just the way, well, it would have been surprising and unsurprising if that's possible. One, I would have been surprised that he would have followed Jim Knowles for the same position. That's, that's why it would have been surprising. Why it would have been unsurprising is that he got passed over, so to speak. So that, to me, it's just a weird situation. I'm glad he's sticking around because there's no secret that dude can develop talent. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It would have been odd, too, right after Gundy made that quote about talking to the staff and them all being on the same page. And everybody's on the same page, yeah. <laughs> and like everybody's two great. days later. Peace so out. So there was an Ohio State account that actually I think was the first one to break the news on Twitter about Oklahoma State graduate assistant Coy McFarland. And Brent, uh, I can never say his name right, but he was defensive quality control coach, both of them leaving to follow Knowles. So I think that's what gave it some credibility. Not that it's an uncredible Twitter. I, I don't follow it, but that they were the first to kind of break the news. And then you see some rumblings, hearing some things that maybe it's a sure thing. And then Joe Bob's with Colin Oliver at the Football Writers Association of America <laughs> talking about Colin being up for college football freshman of the year. He won most inspirational freshman, which I know we were going to talk about at some point. Might as well just hit on it now. Yeah. So congrats to Colin Oliver for that. Awesome. First team uh, freshman All-American from the Football Writers Association too. But he's there talking about it. He's tweeting stuff out with his Oklahoma State logo still on the, on the tweet. So I don't know how much smoke was there. I'm sure something happened to be able to generate that. I don't think it came out of nowhere, but he's obviously staying. He's obviously good with everything, but I agree with you. It, it wouldn't have been that shocking that since he got passed over and he was calling plays in the bowl game, but I'm glad he's staying. Cause I think the players really like him and him and Greg Richmond do a great job with the defensive line. They, they really do. And it would have been very disappointing to see him follow Jim Knowles to Ohio state for that reason. I mean, he recruits and develops as good as anybody we've seen on the defensive side of the football in, in Stillwater in a long time. I mean, the defensive line, you know, starting really with like Emmanuel Ogba, that the talent level has increased and increased every single year uh, to where now you've got a, a freshman All-American and Colin Oliver first team. So it's just, it's, it's crazy. And you're really glad you can keep a guy like that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that was it. I just wanted to hit on that. It probably don't need to dive into it too much because obviously it didn't happen, but just wanted no, to bring it up since that was some news here. No, I'm glad you did. It's it's an interesting, um, it's definitely an interesting, you know, twist as as always this coaching carousel is. So I appreciate you bringing it up. 
you know, a couple of last notes before we, you know, move on to listener questions, right. It's just kind of the, the other bucket of, of Oklahoma state sports. I mean, we've talked about it before. We're going to get to a point in this podcast where, uh, you know, basketball recruiting slows and football recruiting slows. And really the topic is, you know, baseball and softball and Oklahoma state appears to be in fantastic shape. I mean, Dustin, I think you were telling me D one softball has Oklahoma state at preseason number three. Am I reading that correctly? Number three. I mean, that's, that's nasty. And then obviously really good. We've mentioned before that D one baseball already had Oklahoma state at number seven. So I mean, so that's two polls now that both have Oklahoma State at number seven in baseball, collegiate baseball news. Oh, so that's a different one baseball. Yeah. So both of them have them at seven, which is awesome. I mean, it's so that kind of just solidifies that this team is going to be good. We, we talked about it. I believe it was Brian Metcalf that answers that asked us the question. We kind of broke down some of the guys coming in the big names on both softball and baseball. So we're excited about that. And if you guys want to hear more softball and baseball, please let us know. I know Kate always asks for feedback because we pay pretty good attention to both, especially with them being on ESPN plus now. Oh yeah. We can definitely talk about it and put some videos out and stuff like that. I was kind of planning on doing that anyway, whenever I'm able to watch the games, but just let us know. And we, we talked about maybe getting some guests on that know that know the games a little bit better than us know the teams. Yeah. So we can definitely talk about that more, but that's awesome. It's spring is going to be fun. Spring is going to be a lot of fun. And you factor in Oklahoma State golf, who's always fantastic around this time of year. Uh, It's going to be fun. Um, One other thing to note uh, before we move on, I think you wanted to talk wrestling. Is that correct? Are we going to talk wrestling on this podcast? I just wanted to shout them out. Wrestling's 9-0. They just beat Columbia. Lehigh up next. You can... You can, that's my breakdown, that quick breakdown. But if you want a more detailed breakdown, you can go to at Dynasty Defined on Twitter, our buddy Lee Cawthorn. You can check out, Lee needs to pay us. Well, we I was just about to out. ask. I was just about to but, ask, does he shout us out on his podcast? I've never heard a mention of the Feels Like 45 podcast on his podcast. I think he's, I think he's done it once. Okay. Okay. I think. Lee, we'll check with him. Blasphemy. Sorry he's kind about of, that. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. So I, we like him, but. So Lee, it, it, check him out, Dynasty to Find podcast. It's awesome. He does really in-depth breakdowns. It's how I learn everything about wrestling. So Lee's awesome. Check that out if you want some more there. But I just want to shout that out. And Kate, I actually did have one more note if you were done. I, I love, ju- I I just love the notes. Out about. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to shout this out because it's a four-star recruit. It's one of the first, I think, high school recruiting visits of the year this weekend. Trey Wilson, edge guy. I think Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, Brock Martin. From Garland, Texas, mm. four-star on 247's composite. I think he recently had to reschedule an Arkansas visit. He is a big-time player on the defensive side of the ball. I know he's visited Stillwater before, I believe, but hopefully it goes well. If they were to land this guy, yeah, that'd be he's nice. a freak. That yes. would be really nice. One thing you just said there that reminded me, we didn't talk about Jackson Player. Uh, going to uh, Baylor. Going to Baylor. Um, Is Ika gone? Isn't he? I thought he was a senior. Let me look. You you talk. I'll look it up. Well, so obviously we talked about this last week, a couple weeks ago. Jackson player entered the portal. uh, Defensive tackle, real nose guard at at Tulsa, um, and has been a great player for several years there. And 
I mean, to me, I thought he filled a gap for Oklahoma State next year, especially with the the absence of Israel Antoine at this point. Um, definitely filled the gap, but chose to go to Baylor. And so, Dustin, I mean, I thought Ika was a senior. That's why I thought he was stepping into that role. I think he's coming back. So if that's the case, clearly depth chart, not a thing, not a, not a factor, because you could you could have slotted Jackson player in. Granted, he would start just about anywhere, but you could have start, slotted him as starter uh, this coming season for Oklahoma State. But instead, goes to Baylor, where they've already got you know one of the best nose guards in the country. That's a little interesting to me. Yeah, I could I could be just look horrible at googling stuff, but it doesn't look like <laughs> I think he's coming back. Well, uh, if you ever wondered if we do this podcast in real time, the answer is yes. So if you're listening, yeah, please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, if you're listening wrong, and, so. and and we're wrong, let us know. But um, that would put a little bit of a twist to it. It would make you wonder what Baylor was able to offer. He is from Waco. <laughs> you got to throw that out there. He is from Waco. So that that obviously helps. Yeah. Um, Kate, I know we're probably going to move on to questions. I know we have the one voice question just real quick because we don't. I think we hit everything on Twitter either during the week with some verbal responses. Uh, we had KS Pokes fan talk about the uh, baseball and softball rankings. Brian Metcalf did as well. Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf also asked us a question that we already hit on about the scholarships and how many we think are leaving. We talked about how they're full right now and they want some more offensive linemen in. Um so I think we've kind of touched on everything that's on Twitter. I don't think we need to go back through it. Really appreciate all the questions during the week, guys. Um, if you want to save them for the podcast, Kate and I can go into more detail, but don't mind. We don't mind answering them on Twitter. I know when I put the threads out, sometimes people respond to them. So I really appreciate that. And I don't mind answering them on there, but if you ever want to save it for a voice question or for the actual podcast, I know that's, asking a lot from you guys because then you have to remember to ask it later yeah but i'll try to start kind of compiling those and maybe i will just answer them on what maybe we'll just answer them on the podcast but really appreciate those we had a ton of interaction this week from the depth chart you guys seem to like that um some of you guys didn't like our depth chart which is fine too because that's more interaction and you can blame yeah. me i'm the dumb one sometimes i make changes and don't run it by cade so if you and it seems like those are the ones you guys hated so uh, but we'll keep doing that. We're going to keep doing the depth chart. Kate and I are down for that. We'll keep talking about it. We'll do iterations and then we'll come back and see how wrong we were later. So yeah. We'll just, just wait till September when we unveil depth chart number six, that's going to be <laughs> awesome. Hey, all right. One question here from Kansas pokes fan, our old friend here. Hey guys, uh, quick comment and one question. And what about that, uh, Baylor win? The only thing that could have made it any better is if we didn't trail for 16 seconds and we'd have went wire to wire. Uh, big big week this week. We have the TCU game. Remember the 10? Of course, I'll be at the TCU game. The question I have is, uh, Joe Bob, can you guys get a confirmation that he is not going to Ohio State? So – Thank you for the question. Yeah, I should screen. So I should screen. Confession. Uh, I've been. We're we're doing a conference at work. I've been completely inundated with that. So I hadn't even heard this question up until right this second. So I think we already answered that. Um, but you know, back to your first point there. Um, 
a 16 second, you know, lapse in, in leading a game. I think he'll take as you knock <laughs> off the number one Baylor bears on the road for the first time ever. I think he'll take it. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And thank you so much for that question. KS Pokesman. And we're, that's awesome. You'll be at the TCU game. We'll yeah, I didn't even didn't even one. realize it was uh, remember the ten. That's a, a another fantastic reason, obviously. Yeah, great shout out to get there. out to Stillwater uh, tomorrow evening. So, well, Dustin, we can I mean, confirm we can confirm that right now, <laughs> Joe Bob is not going. Yeah, to Ohio State. yeah. As of as of eight eighteen p.m. on Tuesday night. He is not. That could change the moment we press publish on this. So, uh, but no, it doesn't, doesn't look like that's going to happen. So uh, great news there for, for Oklahoma state fans everywhere. I mean, Dustin, any final thoughts here before we wrap up and get out of here? I think I'm good to go kid. Yeah, I think I am too. This was a, a great episode. Great to run down that list of, of defensive coordinator candidates. If I had to pick one today, it's Joe Rossi. That's who I want. Um, I think there are several good candidates out there. So uh, Dustin, as always, thank you for, you know, educating me, educating us <laughs> on who is out there and who Oklahoma State could and should be looking at. So uh, don't take that for granted. I know our listeners don't, but just you're not really getting that level of, of analysis on another podcast out there. And uh, there are a lot of great ones out there, but you're not getting that elsewhere. So, Dustin, uh, I appreciate you doing that for us. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, let's wrap up. Let's have a good night. Um, as always, you can follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod. You can follow me at Cade Webb and follow Dustin Ragu at Dust Ragu. I think that's the first time in 80 podcasts with you I've ever messed that up. Follow Dustin <laughs> at Dust Ragu um, and keep it locked in with us. Uh, Dustin, great talking with you, man. Uh, we'll talk with you next week after hopefully another couple Oklahoma State basketball wins. We'll see you then. Go Pokes.